Today we look at what happens when crops like wheat leave the farm. In the case of wheat, the seed would have been planted in October, or it could have been planted in spring if it was spring wheat. Obviously, we take up the story though at the harvest of the crops in August. You're listening to the Science Show on Cambridge 105. In this section called Scientists at Work, we talk to people who, for some reason or another, find themselves working, researching, or thinking about science in Cambridge, England. We visit a storage facility where the produce from hundreds of farms are taken by lorry to be tested, stored, and ultimately sold to major bakeries and millers. As you'll hear in a moment, there's a lot of science along the way. Today's guest scientist works on the science side of Camgrain, a firm which takes credit as the largest central grain storage operation in the UK. I visited one of their facilities. There are several in the middle regions of England, and I found myself in a massive depot—one that I'd unknowingly passed many times on the road, though it was almost hidden in the fields of Cambridgeshire. Our scientist is Dr. Andrew Wingate, who will be telling us how Camgrain ensure that the grain that they store, sell, and ultimately comes to us is entirely fit for purpose. Camgrain has a clean wheat plan that prepares the grain for food production. They hold a Grade A food standard rating from the British Retail Consortium, a rating which is a requirement of many food manufacturers in the industry. Well, that's good.、Uh, but a clean wheat plant. So, what is a plant for wheat plants? Is it just me that thinks that a piece of machinery in the industry shouldn't be a plant? That's a good point. It is. Anyway, as we said, with the quality standards set so high, it would be a tough call for an individual farmer to get their wheat up to standard and to get involved in the selling of their crop. They surely just want to focus on growing the stuff. Yes, indeed. So, twenty years ago, Camgrain was set up to help. They are a farmer-owned central storage cooperative. Camgrain would offer. Not only to store the grain, but also to provide facilities for analysing and cleaning and distributing it to the various sectors of the industry that do milling and brewing and making your breakfast cereal. It's a lot to do with efficiency and quality, as we'll now hear from Andrew Wingate. I started by asking Andy to explain where Camgrain fits into the supply chain. As far as I know, a farmer grows wheat, and next I buy some flour from a shop. So, where does Camgrain fit in? It's a farmer-owned central storage co-op, and where we fit in is that we offer a storage solution for farmers, but we're also operating to improve the efficiency of the supply chain to get a better deal for the UK farmers. You get economies of scale. We are able to guarantee the product that we are delivering to the processor, which really turns the industry on its head. Traditionally, a farmer would have a contract with a merchant. That merchant would come and sample the grain on his farm. He would sort of walk over the heap that he's got in his barn, take a few samples with a spear, do the analysis. The key analysis on wheat that they're looking at is protein,、okay. moisture, falling Hagberg number, and density, also referred to as bushel weight or, or hectolitre. In recent years, there's also been a bigger focus on mycotoxins as well, which is very important, especially when it's concerning with food use, because、yeah. um, these are the toxins that are left over from fungal infection that can occur on the wheat if the weather's not favourable. Okay, herbicides and stuff. 
So the farmer is then delivering his grain to a mill, because the, the merchant is there just to match up the two, effectively, like a dating service, if you like. He'll buy the grain from the farmer at one price, and he's obviously selling it on at a different price. But at the end of the day, the people that are buying the grain are going to have to come and collect it from the farmer, deliver it to the mill. The farmer can't afford to have a laboratory, but there'll be a laboratory at the mill at the intake, and they're checking very carefully exactly what the farmer's delivered, because in, traditionally in the agricultural industry, it's very much a sort of a buyer-beware approach. Because the farmers haven't been able to have big facilities for checking very accurately every single load that's going out, then the mills have always needed to because they need to check what is the actual quality they're getting. The farmer will do his absolute best to get those quality criteria within the parameters that he knows he should for the contract he's signed with his merchant, but it's, it's in the lap of the gods because of the weather and various other things. There's, there's all sorts of inputs you can put onto the grain to, to get the protein where it needs to be, but at the end of the day, you, you test what you've grown because you can't guarantee a quality on a particular field. It's not always wheat. Farmers don't plant the same crop every year. The farmer then rotates the crop. Exactly. So the farmer will, on a particular field, he will have a rotation. Could be one year wheat, the next year wheat, then the next year oilseed rate, and then back to wheat again. The different land types would indicate a different kind of rotation. And there's a there's a specific industry of advisors called agronomists that farmers would speak to to get the advice or do the training themselves to understand their soil type and what's going to produce the best profit for their farming business on that patch of land. But it it all comes down to the fact that if you were just to grow one crop continuously, you might deplete the soil from the particular nutrients that that crop type needs. That might require more inputs that you're going to have to buy. But more importantly, that you might get a build-up of diseases and pests that are specific to that crop type. If you don't have a break crop, and put something else in there, then you might get this build-up of disease and you'll get lower and lower yields and possibly lower and lower quality. At the end of the day, farmers are all businessmen and they want, they want to maximise their profits. Okay. Around us, we see great big containers with all these various seeds, but you're not simply a storage organisation. The farmer isn't, isn't particularly aware of all the quality of his grain. I mean, he's got a rough idea from a few samples they took, yes. but they will load up a lorry... 29 tonnes, off it goes to the mill. They will analyse that very carefully. And they they may come back to him and say, well, actually, the quality on this load is this, this and this. And it's supposed to be that, that and that. And if you fall below the requirement, then you're going to get paid less money for it. And he will get the phone call, are you willing to accept less money for your load? And it's a difficult position for the Isn't farmer it? because, you know, what can he do? He's, he's up against a big, you know, big company, basically. He may have to take the knock or, you know, the alternative, which is even worse, is that the mill say, well, actually, the quality's so far out that we actually can't accept it at all. Oh. And so all the cost of that delivery is going to come back to the farmer and he's going to have to try and get it tipped off somewhere else, which is a very pressure situation. But, but Camgrain, where we fit into the supply chain is to try and turn that model on its head. So that's a very much price-taker sort of confrontational model and with our partners we're trying to have a very much more collaborative approach so for example on the the Sainsbury's supply chain contract where where Camgrain farmers provide all of the wheat that's milled into flour for all of the in-store baked products in Sainsbury's to keep the whole thing sort of in the UK if you like in that supply chain so every single load comes in from the Camgrain farmers at harvest time we test every single load coming in on all the major criteria to check the quality uh, we will then store that appropriately you know the better quality stuff and the stuff that doesn't quite meet the grade etc we'll, we'll be able to segregate it to maximise the value of every single load and then when we deliver it out we will blend to ensure that the quality that's being delivered to the mill is exactly the, the quality that the miller wants and there's a huge benefit to the miller to have a consistent quality on every single load throughout the season so, so he can set up his mill to the parameters of what he's expecting and he hasn't, doesn't have to invest so much in 
intake infrastructure and, and storage on his facility. He can invest in milling capacity, which is his core business activity, and he can get the consistent product coming through. And we, for example, we test all the products that come out of Cangrain sites. You know, we test them before we release them. And if they're not within spec, according to our laboratory analysis, we don't let the lorry go down the road. And so we've got to a situation with, with, where you build trust with your people you're supplying to, and so they use our test analysis. You've mentioned one or two tests we've never heard of. So I'll walk you through the, what happens in the lab when the lorry comes in. So the lorry pulls onto the Weybridge. So the first thing it's doing there is we're measuring the weight of the lorry. <laughs> Pretty basic. There's a robotic arm which um, comes out over the lorry, spears down to the bottom of the lorry, and then there's a vacuum process that then sucks grain. So you get a representative sample all the way to, from the bottom of the lorry to the top. Okay. And it, so this unit is yeah. getting into the realms of statistics for a, for a correct sample. You know, yeah. this is very important. And um, then this robotic arm will do this a couple of times to get a, a good few spear points and you'll get about 5 kgs of sample I suppose yes. into the lab um, and again all about um, getting the sample to be homogenous we have these sort of splitting devices that you pour the grain into and it, and it divides it up so you don't get a sort of a slug of one bit of the sample going into one machine and a slug of another bit into the sample it's a bit like shuffling the deck if you like it's of the grain gone. so you get, you get your homogenous sample and the first machine they'll put that into is usually an NIR machine near uh, infrared reflectance analysis machine and what that's doing is it's a very rapid analysis which is obviously very convenient for our business here because we want to maximize the turnaround we want to know the analysis straight away because we want to know where to tip that lorry so this this machine will measure the moisture content which is incredibly important because grain has a specific uh, moisture content at which it should be stored so you have to obviously dry it if it's too wet you're going to measure the protein oil or nitrogen content the protein level is very important you know higher protein is better lower protein is is not so good and they're the, when you're delivering the wheat the protein level is one of the specifications you know bread making wheat 13 percent protein yes and then the density of the grain will affect the extraction rate at the mill so that's another criteria they have on the contracts there'll be a minimum density that they're willing to accept so if you fall below that density they might you know they'll pay you less money or they might not accept it so those are three very important analysis that we're able to analyze very quickly with the machine, the tech as it's called. Then the other uh, important analysis that takes a little bit longer is the falling Hagberg number. The, the moisture, obviously that's water content, uh, yeah. it's just percentage. The protein is a percentage and um, the, uh, the density is kilograms per hectolitre. And it affects the extraction rate. A low density grain means that there's going to be a lot of husk and probably very little endosperm. So endosperm, if you cut a grain in half, you've got the sort of there's a husk on the outside, the yes. bran. There's a sort of a large sort of white area, which is the endosperm. That's what yes. becomes flour. And a low density grain will have husk, but very little endosperm. High density grain will probably have more endosperm. So it's, it affects the extraction rate. So the amount of tons of wheat you put down the, the hole in the mill versus the amount of tons of flour come out the other end. Low density grain you got less flour, so the miller's you know, losing money, if you like. Of course. So that's why it's important to him. And tell us about this falling German name. Falling Hagberg number. The Hagberg is a test that determines how good that wheat will be for producing flour. You take your sample of grain, you grind it up into a powder, you mix it with a fixed volume of distilled water, a specific weight of, of wheat that goes into the process, and it's a specific-sized mixing vessel, and there's a specifically-sized plunger. It then goes into a machine that's set at a, at a specific temperature, and then the mixing takes place. The gluten that's present in the flour, basically, that you've made in a very sort of coarse way is, is mixing with the water, and it will produce a sort of a gelatinous solution. And then you let that plunger fall through the solution. And the more viscous the solution is, the slower the plunger will fall. And that is the falling number. So the falling number is the number of seconds that the plunger takes to get to the bottom of the test tube. Okay. So why is this important? Okay. 
one way to measure the grain coming in would be to make a loaf out of it. But that's the ultimate reference, I suppose. But you know, we haven't got time to do that. We need to know the answer in five minutes. Oh. So a chap called um, Sven Hagberg created this method. The important thing that goes from a sample that's good for bread-making flour to a sample that's bad for bread-making flour is the fact that the, the seed has started to go down the process of germination. It started to produce the enzymes that it needs to break down those starches to glucose so it can use it in a respiratory process. Okay. And these, these enzymes, alpha amylase, um, they're the ones that cut the long carbohydrate chains up into shorter chains and into single sugar units. Yes. If you take a sample of grain that's been allowed to go a bit too far, then the seed has produced this alpha amylase. And then when you make your solution for the Hagberg test, the enzyme in those seeds is getting released and it's slicing up all of the starch chains to smaller sugar units, and then it's producing a less viscous solution. If you were then to use that flour to actually make a dough, that would directly correlate with the ability of the dough to, to rise or not. You alluded to the fact that some of these tests are fairly quick. I mean, give us an idea of the kind of fairly quick... Protein and the, um, the moisture and the bushel weight and the hardness, that all goes into a sort of single instrument, and that measures that within 30 seconds or so. Oh, wow. The Hagberg test is slightly longer because you've got that mixing process, but it's about five minutes. So a vehicle could arrive and you'd know within five minutes that... Absolutely, that's the intention, to get the vehicles turned around as, as rapidly as possible. The, the key element on Hagberg, which is different from all the others, is if you have, a, for example, a load that is 30 tonnes at 16% moisture and you've got a load at 14% moisture, you know, if you blend the two together perfectly, the moisture will equal out and you'll have 15% moisture because it's weight, weight for weight. Well, with Hagberg, it's a very different story because Hagberg, you're measuring an enzyme activity. And importantly... If you had a sample of 50 Hagberg wheat, it's going to be very poor for bread making. If you mix that sample of 50 Hagberg wheat with 300 Hagberg wheat, you potentially would have an entire bulk of 50 Hagberg. Because the enzyme activity could be hundreds of thousands of times higher in the seed with the 50 Hagberg than the seed with the 300 Hagberg. If you're going to blend Hagberg, it's not like for like, because the enzyme activity affects that. Got it. What I saw was a whole bunch of seeds running through shoots. This um, is a wheat cleaning plant. It basically enables us to take wheat from a sort of a standard tradable commodity into a, a human food use ingredient. In Camgrain, what we do is we take the soft wheat that's delivered in by our members and we'll put it through this cleaning process, which really just ensures that the grain is, is absolutely clean and ensures that the, the right size of grain is there for the, for the customer and there's no sort of dust or sand and all those sorts of things are all removed. Tell us about some of the sort of modules. There's a series of processes. There's a sort of sieving stage and then there's a, there's a process that sort of polishes the grain. All the while, there's air aspiration taking the, the dust and the chaff away from the process. The key step in all of this is the colour sorter that sits at the very bottom of the process. And this incredible bit of machinery works um, a, a bit like in a lab. You might have a flow cytometer measuring cells. Well, it, it's a similar sort of idea to that. Effectively, you have a wall of grain, like a waterfall, one grain thick, falling past a series of thousands of tiny cameras. And what this machine does is it's able to photograph every single grain. And the computer software behind that, you'll have built in the specification. So you've built in the specification for colour, for example. So if there's a grain that's the wrong colour, below the cameras are a series of air jets. So if the camera detects a grain that's not suitable for the specification, the air jet will blast that grain the other side of the divide. So you've got the grain that you're accepting and the grain that you're rejecting as, as two options. And this thing runs at 20 tonnes an hour and sort of controls the whole process. And it allows you to have very, very good separation of the grains you do want and the grains you don't want. And we use that for sorting the colour. But it's also very important because it enables us to give very good assurance 
that we're able to remove non-ferrous items. For example, you would have metal checkers for checking for ferrous and non-ferrous metals. Okay. Um, but what about something like glass? Should a glass ever get into the process? How, how is that found? It's going to have a very different response on the camera than a piece of grain. Okay. You have to have these processes in place to ensure the quality. The grain that comes out of cam grain goes straight to the factory where they're going to make the actual breakfast cereals, and it goes straight onto their production line. Yeah. All of these systems are in place, not just the machinery, the nuts and bolts, but the assurance and it's referred to HACCP, the critical control points analysis, is all in, the, is all in place to ensure the quality. So there is a lab here? Yes, back to that. that's right. All of the Camgrain sites have laboratories, so we're taking the samples of the grain on the way in to do all, all our bank of analyses on it to, to check the quality. So our farmer who's sent in his, his loads of grain, he can go online and, and check the, the quality of the grain he's sent in. Now, this is incredibly useful for him because he might be combining in a field. He's sent in a few loads from it already. He, he picks up his iPhone and sees that he's lost the Hagberg on that field. What he's combining there, he's planted a group one, bread making, wanting to get the best money for it. But actually, it turns out, because of the weather or, or other conditions, that actually the Hagberg's gone on this field. So he can decide at that point, well, all right, well, I'll stop on this field, I'll move to another field. Uh, it allows him to respond. Also, looking at all the, the loads that he sent in, he can see the protein levels. He can adjust his scheme for his inputs for the next year. If he's way overshot the protein mark, perhaps spent too much on inputs, maybe he can reduce his inputs. The, the data is incredibly useful for the farmers as well to understand the quality of the grain they're producing to refine their own processes, as well as, obviously, when we're delivering it, we need to know the quality that's going out so we meet all the specifications of people that are purchasing the grain. Thank you very much, Andy. Thanks there to Dr. Andrew Wingate of Camgrain. Thanks, Andy, for giving up so much time at what we're sure must be a very busy time of year. So what do you think, Niall? Well, I'm impressed by the technology for assuring the quality of the wheat. Did Andy tell you anything about the different varieties of wheat? Yeah, I learned that in this country we classify wheat according to the NABIM system. That's N-A-B-I-M. It's a national body. And out of the 40 varieties of wheat, and by the way, none of them are GM crops, as you might imagine, there are no GM wheat grown anywhere commercially in the world. There are 40 varieties of wheat, and they put them into four groups. These are kind of interesting groups, although it's a bit long-winded. There is group one varieties, and these are the best things for milling and baking. And just behind them are group two varieties, also used for bread baking. Most of us know these group one and group two flowers in the supermarket as strong flowers. After these come group three varieties, which are the soft flowers for making biscuits and cakes and other flowers. And there's group four varieties, which is the wheat grown to feed animals, about 40% of the UK crop grows to feeding our chickens, cows and pigs and probably me too. But tell us, Niall, the difference between these strong and wheat flours. I thought you'd never ask, Roger. It's to do with keeping the bubbles in your bread, would you believe? Hard or strong wheat flour varieties produce dough which is elastic because it has a high gluten or protein content. If you've a bag of strong bread making flour in the cupboard, you'll see 12 to 14% protein on the label. That is, it's high in gluten. So, yeast grows on the sugar in the dough. It uses sugar to respire, making CO2 bubbles and making the bread rise. Gluten is like chewing gum and holds the carbon dioxide gas bubbles to produce a good spongy loaf and with a firm shape until the loaf is baked. If that goes wrong, i.e. if you use the wrong flour or forget the yeast or sugar, you end up without bubbles and something hard like a house brick. Uh -huh. And the soft flour, please tell us. 
Soft flour has less gluten, and baking with it results in a crumbly, less chewy texture. Soft flour ranges from cake flour, which is the lowest in gluten, and pastry flour, which has a little bit more gluten than cake flour. Okay, so gluten. I'm always hearing about gluten, gluten-free products. What is gluten? Aha, the famous gluten. As we said, gluten is the mostly protein part of wheat that makes the bread dough elastic, helping it rise and hold its shape. We've said it gives the final product a chewy texture. In fact, the word gluten in Latin—did you know this? It、nope. means glue. And gluten is not only found in wheat; it's also found in barley and rye. It's not found in rice, though, which is good news for those who are sensitive to gluten. Now that's handy to know. Well, thanks. We're going to put links to Cam Grain on our podcast page, and also, if you look back through our podcast, we'll also put a link to a fascinating story about a company that develops better wheat seed for farmers. That's pretty much all for today's show. Scientists at Work is made by the Science Show team on Community Radio Cambridge 105. You can also find past episodes on the website www.cambridge105.fm. You can also subscribe to future podcasts with the iTunes Store. You can get in touch with us on the email science at cambridge105.fm or on Twitter at 105 Science. Till next time, it's bye from the Science Show team of Roger Frost and Chris Crease. You're listening to the Science Show on Cambridge 105.